Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I am your host, And I am a change and transformation specialist working with retailers to define, develop and deliver complex changes and ultimately helping to identify the ideal operating model and bring that into reality, driving more profitable business operations and a better customer experience. Thank you so much for tuning in. This one is episode 214, number 214. Over the past few years, I've been really fascinated at how more retailers are moving into advertising and media. There are some massive growth rates that are reported by some of these companies, and the margins are pretty tasty as well. But I wanted to dive into this phenomenon in more detail today. And to help me do this, I'm delighted to welcome a highly recognized thought leader in the world of retail, Ricardo Belmar. Ricardo helps retail organizations to deliver omnichannel customer experiences and drive revenue through digital transformation. He's a director and lead partner marketing advisor for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft. And he works with retail tech partners as a trusted advisor to develop go-to-market growth strategies. He's got over 20 years of industry experience in particular leading marketing and product teams, and with plenty of media and analyst relationships as well. As I mentioned, he's a recognized thought leader in the retail sector. He's a Rethink Retail top retail influencer for 2021 and 2022. Like myself, I'm very proud to be one of these top retail influencers alongside Ricardo. And Ricardo is also an RAS News top 100 mover and shaker for 2021 and a featured member of Retail Wire's Brain Trust panel. He's a founding member of the Advisory Council at George Mason University's Centre for Retail Transformation, and a fellow podcast host as well. His show is called The Retail Razor Show, so do go and look it up and take a listen if you've not already done so. And so Ricardo and I are going to explore the rise of retail media networks, Maybe this is something you are considering exploring. Maybe it's something you've often wondered about. Or maybe this is just a great learning opportunity to see how some retailers are evolving and transforming. The show notes for today's episode are at obandco.uk slash 214. That's obandco.uk slash 214. And head over there to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, my weekly email newsletter, which includes key headlines from the changing world of retail, helping you to keep your finger firmly on the pulse and understand how it is changing, how the market is evolving, and give you key insight to stay with those trends as they happen, rather than just watch as a spectator. So sign up for free, obandco.uk slash 214. And without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Ricardo Belmar.
Well, I'm delighted to welcome Ricardo Belmar onto the Retail Transformation Show. Ricardo, a warm welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Ollie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's fantastic to have you on the show. I know we've been trying to line this one up for a little while, so it's brilliant to be talking. And boy, oh boy, do we have a fantastic topic lined up for our conversation all around media networks, a huge theme that many of the bigger retailers are going after right now. But should we just get everyone onto the same page, Ricardo? What are we talking about when we say media networks? Yeah, there's, you know, this is such an interesting topic and it's honestly one of my favorite ones at the moment to, to talk about here in retail because it seems to have just exponentially grown over this calendar year. You know, so so what do we mean by by media networks? So really what we're, this started out as, uh, I, I would say, you know, Amazon being kind of the the king of these in the sense that as the, the biggest marketplace online, you know, they we yeah. all know they started selling ad units on their pages so that when a consumer searches for something, you know, some of those search results are ad placements. Yep. And an increasingly large amount as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, and in fact, and it's a fair question to ask, right? How many ads is too much from a consumer <laughs> point of view? Because <laughs> I, I know plenty of people have said to me, when are they going to stop adding so many ads? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what started this. It really started as ad units on online marketplaces. So Amazon maybe was the first, but there, there's so many others that were early on. Uh, Walmart, uh, of course, uh, started that in the US, Target, yep. Home Depot. And then we started to see grocery brands start to do this as well. So really, it kind of became a model where any retailer whose business is selling third-party products, mm. initially online, you know, to, to get those ad placements through search results. But increasingly, it's gotten more more complex and, and more variety in the types of ad placements. And I would say even, you know, one of the most unique things happening now are retailers bringing those media networks in store as part of the offering. Yeah, that's interesting. So I just want to go back to grocery, actually, Ricardo, mm -hmm. and thinking yeah. about in store as well, because I'd argue we've been thinking about, we, we didn't used to call it ads, but we've been thinking about shall we say, paid placement of right. brands in grocery and supermarkets for a long time, right? You know, right. shelf space, promotional ends, you know, promotional display units at front of store and so on. Is this the same same idea, basically, from this offline model of revenue generation into an online web store or marketplace? And then back into store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, right, we've come full circle, I think, on this, where I agree, you're, you're right. It's what started out as, you know, and, and we didn't used to really think of these as ad placements. We just called them promotions in store. Right? Yeah. And there would be, you know, and promotional signage that would be placed. If we think of a supermarket, you know, that you've got end caps that might be a special for that week and there'll be special signage there. And you're right. This is really became an idea. Well, what if we took that concept? moved it online to e-commerce. And as more and more e-commerce retailers, especially lar large format uh, stores, started becoming marketplaces of themselves online, they realized there was a revenue opportunity here to, to bring that, that ad capability onto their e-commerce site. Yep. And, and then I think there's another benefit that kind of came from this as everybody watched Amazon do this. It's that you generate a lot of interesting first-party data mm. about consumers that are shopping on your website through these ad units, especially now as we're moving towards a cookie-less world, 
there, there's a clear interest in retailers having more and more first party data and less reliance on third party data. Yep. And these media networks are a great way to generate that kind of information. I, I would even argue for some retailers that first party data is more valuable than the incremental revenue you're going to get from the ad placements. Really? Well, do you think so? Because I mean, Amazon, if, if we use their ad, ad revenues as, as an example, are enormous and yeah. you know, the, the profit margins are pretty healthy as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think if uh, I think e- eMarketer has probably the best uh, data and forecasts on this, but if I recall their data, I mean, a- Amazon is somewhere around 70, 75% of the total revenue being generated across mm. all these media networks today. I, I think based on their last quarterly results, maybe the, the growth rate has slowed a little bit on that. But I think there's no doubt that overall, in terms of all retail media networks, that they're still growing and still projected to easily be you know $40 billion business t- type of thing uh, annually. So yes, there's a lot of revenue to be had. I, I think maybe it's the wrong way to look at it for a retailer to say, if Amazon can do, do it and be that successful, so can I. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think that's realistic. You know, it works for Amazon because they're the largest marketplace. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll come back to marketplaces in just a minute because I've got a thought. I mean, Amazon is increasingly, much like social media for many businesses, right, is increasingly right. becoming a pay-to-play That's marketplace. True, yeah. And I do wonder whether that will, what what effect that will have because suddenly it's not necessarily the best products that are rising to the top of the search results. It's who has the money to pay, right? And if you want to make a right. proverbial quick buck, that may impact the customer experience, right? That, that's true. I mean, I, I would draw an analogy to almost any search platform, right? If we were to do, you know, product searches on or, or, of any, or any search, frankly, right, mm. on a, on Google, you know, how many ad placements are you going to see at the top of that search results page from a Google search? Yeah, I think it's the same same kind of question, really, right? From a from that customer experience perspective, just as you mentioned, you know, it's how many ads are too many, right? I think is the first mm. question to ask. At what point does it become so many ads that you can't trust the search result. I think there's there's a, a fine line there that no one's quite figured out yet. Yeah. When is it? When did you cross that line? <laughs> when you find out it's too late. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Then, then you're, you'll know. I think you'll know when when um, there's a retailer. If you cross that line, you'll know for sure because your customers will walk mm. away. So yeah. So there's definitely a limit there. And I think on on the other side of that, which I think you were kind of getting to as well, right? If you're the brand trying to sell your product on that marketplace and you realize that if you're not buying enough ads, you're not going to move enough merchandise, at what point does it become too expensive for it to even be there? Yeah, exactly. And suddenly you're eroding your margins, particularly if you've got yeah. to advertise off-site, on-site. You know, there is only so much money to go around, right? Right. I want to go back to marketplaces though, because you're absolutely right. Amazon is a marketplace. It's led the way in many ways. I don't think it was the first marketplace, but it absolutely has been the most successful online. But loads of companies, retailers now are getting into marketplaces, right? There seems to be a big retailer saying, we're doing a marketplace every other week at the moment. And I wonder, do you see these marketplaces going down a potential ad slash pay to play model in the future or not? What do you think? My sense is ultimately every marketplace is going to go in this direction. I think there is sort of a, a maybe a starting requirement that says you need some amount of critical mass, right? If you, you yep. need to be able to legitimately claim to those advertisers, to those uh, product brands that you have enough customers that buying the ad space is worth your, your money, 
So I think once you have that, right? So so I guess maybe one example I could use here at any department store, right? Could could be considered a marketplace online because they sell obviously a lot of third-party products. Yep. So if if you're a brand that sells across multiple department stores, how should you be looking at this? Do, you know, every one of those department stores, in all likelihood, if they're not already, they're they're I would say you know within the next year, if they haven't turned on a media network, they will, and they're going to be going to all those brands and saying, you know, we you should spend some money here on this media network to to win some sales. Yep. Now, if you're the brand, you're probably thinking, well, is this new dollars that I have to spend now with this retailer that I have to budget for? Or am I shifting other trade promotion dollars that I already allocated to this retailer? Uh, you know, like the examples you talked about earlier, where I might have a promotional display in the store and there's some signage that goes with that to draw attention to it. Oftentimes that's funded by the brand, right? Yep. To, to produce that. So is the brand now saying, do I have to shift some of those dollars to the media network or is this net new dollars? And what many retailers are starting to do is say, well, I don't want that online marketplace media network to compete with my in-store promotion. So I mm. need to find ways to bundle all of this together and treat both online and in-store as a single media network. So now if I present <laughs> it to the brand, I'm saying you're not just buying that in-store promotion. I'm offering you a bundle of, of promotions. You can get ad units online. You can get the display promotion in the store. And if I'm really advanced as a retailer, I may even offer to say, I'll manage some ad placements on online display, third-party display networks for you as well. Mm. So now it's almost starting to look like you're running an agency for that yeah. brand. Right? Yeah. And I think that's the evolution we're seeing here. I'm immediately going to omni-channel media networks, have to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> and right? how that, yeah. How that yeah. blends and how you get yeah. you know, consistent promos between in-store and online, You know, mm -hmm. that's pretty basic. But actually, how do you then build that story up of, over time, you know, bringing in other channels, email, right. social, dot, dot, dot. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So we've spoken about, should we say, simple text, text or maybe image and text-based ads at the moment. But media in and by itself has, has got a lot richer. Obviously, video has exploded mm -hmm. on the scene, but also, you know, smartphones in consumers' hands and pockets has allowed much more media to be put in front of everyone's eyes. Other ways are media networks developing other than those sort of simple placement ads? There's definitely an opportunity to find other mediums. So you mentioned video, for example. Mm. One area, I, I don't think I've seen too much of this, but we're starting to see some examples, right? Is how do I incorporate not just video clips that may be attached to a product page or, or that lead to a product page or a video ad, but is there a, a live stream component I can now introduce for this. Yep. And I find live streaming has been a really interesting case here because I think we've been talking about how explosive that as a medium that's been in Asia. And I think everyone keeps asking the, the question, which is when is that going to take on kind of the same robustness in the West? Yes. And it seems like all the examples we've seen so, so far have been kind of hit or miss and, and not quite the same level of success. Which is not to say it's not successful. I think I've seen numbers that say if you kind of lump, put live streaming together with, with social commerce, I think I've seen, you know, outside of Asia, numbers of like, you know, even in the US, 30 billion or 17 to 30 billion, something like that of revenue generator attributed to that. So I think it's starting. It's probably still early stages, but I, I can envision, for example, a retailer that has a media network associating live streams led by their own 
Store Associates, for example, mm-hmm. as the live streamer. And this may depend on the product category. I, mean, I think this maybe makes more sense in specialized categories like, say, electronics, for example, where you, you can do a demo of a product in that live stream and it becomes much more meaningful yes. uh, than just a, a straight uh, image right, or, or text description. And that, I, I think, really could be interesting for these media networks. If I, if I, as the retailer, roll in opportunities for live streams to the brand to showcase your products, and in addition to the other kind of you know online search page results and to in-store promotion, I'm starting to build a much more attractive package, I think, that will get consumer attention. Mm. Uh, I think then for, from the brand's perspective, then the question becomes, well, how am I going to measure how many people are going to watch that live stream? How am I going to know that you're giving me a live stream that's really going to re- lead to sales? Yes. Now, suddenly, that's all, all sorts of data and data integrity and trust between the brands. But- also, in terms of getting consumer attention and with live streaming, I'm also then thinking sort of influencer collabs between, mm-hmm. you know, a brand influencer network and a retailer's influencer network. And what, what happens when you put those together, you know, perhaps right. in a, in a right. live stream environment, that could be quite exciting in terms of, shall we say, cross-pollination of consumer interest. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I, I, I often think of this as that we may see a little bit of a divergent path in that for, for larger retail brands where, you know, they may have more budget available to work with those established influencers mm-hmm. for the purpose of live streams. If you're a, a smaller brand, I, I often have, have talked to people and say, you know, if I'm a small retailer uh, or an independent retailer, how do I look at these technologies? I mean, obviously I'm not going to have a media network as a small retailer, regardless of how many third-party products uh, I have. I may still have in-store promotions, but I'm, I'm not going to drive volume the way a large retailer can. Yep. But Usually, what, what do those retailers have as an advantage? They usually have local community that, that gives them an advantage and that people in the local community know them. Yes. And, and the odds are then they therefore also know the employees at that store. So that's where I come back to store associates as your, let's call it an engineered influencer by that retailer mm. that just streams from the store uh, and highlights different products. You're probably only going to speak to that local community audience, but if you've got good brand affinity and good loyalty with that local community, likelihood is those streams will be meaningful to them because they, a, they obviously they yeah. know the store, they'll know the store associates that's on the stream, and they might have an interest in finding out about these new products. So I, I think that almost, maybe I should use the word equalizer here in that it allows that smaller retailer to look bigger because they can do this. I think they don't need to worry about these established influencers. They can create their own influencers yes. for themselves. And the fact that they won't have the high-end studio production capabilities at a large brand probably gives them more authenticity to yeah, their audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And trust as well, right? If you exactly. are seeing, you know, if you are seeing a store associate that you could walk into the store and see the very same person, suddenly that's that's real life, right? <laughs> Rather than Exactly. Sort of yeah. A, yeah, it's much more of a much stronger connection. Yeah, it's not a glittery celeb. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> It's interesting as we think about sort of the evolution of media networks. I'm, I'm sort of sitting here, Ricardo, and I'm wondering, is this for a retailer taking your eye off the ball? If you start to think about, you know, right, what could we do with ads and Plinkety Blanc? Are you actually missing your classic retail model and arguably, you know, going to stray from the path, stray from your strategy and get lost in the, the wilderness of, you know, every company is a tech company and all that sort of stuff? What do you think? There's certainly that possibility. Clearly, this isn't part of what we normally think of as core retail business. Mm. 
but I think at the same time, you know, you can make a counter argument that says I'm just expanding what that core business is. Mm. And so long as the retailer is doing this right, they are appropriately staffing themselves to people whose dedicated role is to run these operations. Then really they're just growing their business into a new area. And I think the reality there sooner, at least the hope for that reality is that they're growing their business with something that's going to deliver higher margin than their core business. Yes. Uh, and, and so I think what, what really everyone is seeing is there's still this lingering belief, and I'm going to call it a belief for the moment that Amazon, for example, doesn't really make any money or profit out of their retail business. And some quarters that's true, some quarters it's not, it, it varies. Mm-hmm. But generally everybody looks at, at them and says, well, they're getting all of this revenue from their media network. And that's su- that's much, much higher margin, obviously, than, than selling merchandise. Yes. So that media network is helping them fund the retail business in a sense, right? So I, I think that's what has initially enticed everyone like we've been talking about. So I think that it's reasonable to say that retailers have to expand their core business, that we're kind of entering this new evolutionary phase of, of retail business where Yes, there's all of the traditional merchant commerce services that we expect the retailer to have as their core business. But mm. as retailers grow, and certainly we're really talking about larger retailers, like like we said, that the small retailer, the independent retailer is not going to be investing in media network capabilities. Yeah. But for larger retailers where, you know, it's just kind of this, the, the law of, of big numbers, right? When, when you get that big, you've got, where do you find growth? Yep. And if you can't find growth by selling more merchandise because consumers aren't buying, you need to look elsewhere for that growth. And the media networks, I, I believe the advantage for the retailer is they're in some way shifting the burden of that growth to the brands that they're selling away from themselves mm. by asking the brands to pay for these ads and pay for the media network. Yep. And to the retailer, it's it's good margin. I, I'll still say that it, my claim will still be that for most, it's going to be an incremental revenue, yes, but it's not going to be at Amazon levels of revenue. You know, if you if you pick any category and if there's 10 established retailers in that category, all 10 of them can't have a successful retail media network. Brands are not going to pay for that many of them. I just yep. don't see that happening. I think the category leader, maybe the number two, I think it's reasonable to say that the, those two will have successful media networks. Beyond them, maybe the number three, I don't think they'll make a lot of revenue out of it. They'll probably still do it because they get value out of the first party data yep. for themselves, but they're probably not counting on the incremental revenue and the margin from that network. So you know, everybody, I think everybody right now seems to be launching a media network, but everybody can't have a successful one. But there is room. I mean, I, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that they're all in competition with Amazon's media network. I don't. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Hmm. But I do believe that when we when we look at this a few years from now, this media network aspect of it is just going to be yet another item we're going to check off the list that's part of the core retail business. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder whether. It could distract more people as you think about that. Shall we say your your ten retailers ranked? You know how far you go down, where it begins to become actually more of a burden in terms of operating model and and how much attention it takes within the business. I wonder if we could start to see actually we're gonna we're gonna experiment with a media network and actually it hasn't really come off and so it's sort of lingering there in the background and doesn't really come to anything. I do wonder whether that element of distraction and glittering pot of gold <laughs> that you see others right, have right. could uh, could lead people down the wrong path. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's reasonable to expect that for as many, you know, this year, especially it seemed like every week we hear announcements of new retail media networks mm. being launched. It's 
probably safe to expect that a few years from now, what we'll be seeing the opposite messages, right? Of retailers who've decided to close down their retail media network because it's not doing what, what they want. It's not really giving them the growth. Yeah. It's not as successful because again, I, yeah, I just, I don't know that we can claim that in every category, every l- large retailer in that category can have a successful media network. Yeah. There, there are limits and, and it kind of comes back to what you were mentioned at the beginning, right? You know, how much is too much from the consumer's perspective? Is there a risk that the media networks and, and brands be more successful with it if they have too many ads? And is that somehow going to drive consumers to their competitors that don't have a media network because they won't see ads on their website? Is that going to be more appealing to consumers because they've just too much is too much? So yeah, there's definitely a situation where from the consumer's perspective, at what point is too many ads just too much? And if we look ahead to where there might be 10 competitors in a category and maybe only the top two or three have a successful media network and the others say, I'm just going to turn this off. I'm not making any money from it. Let's just quit. Well, when does the consumer say, you know, I'm tired of getting all these ads at those two or three retailers. I'm just going to go shop at one of the other ones where I don't get ads. And at that point, what, what happens, right? What happens next? Do the re- does the retailer see a drop? Because they obviously will be looking at this data. Does that then mean that these media networks are long-term not going to succeed? I, I think it's yep. kind of hard for us to predict that right now. But it's certainly, I think we all need to be open to the possibility that, in a sense, right, consumers have a limit <laughs> to what they're willing to tolerate. I, I would probably yeah. argue that if we look at Amazon, for example, as the model, we haven't hit that limit yet. Because they certainly seem to keep adding more and more ads and people keep shopping. So it doesn't seem to have turned anyone off yet. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Careful to tread that line for sure. Ricardo, just as we come to the close of our conversation, I'd like to take a bit of a pivot and pick up on what you were talking about earlier around high margin business opportunities for a retailer who is typically low margin. What are some of the other, should we say, B2B high margin options that, that you see retailers diving into at the moment? Well, I think there's there's a, a few things we're seeing right now, certainly with larger retailers kind of taking the, the lead here. The largest retailers who, who, of course, are doing media networks, but they're expanding from that and, and even going to the point of offering some of the content creation services yep. to the brand. So sure, I can sell you an ad unit, but maybe you don't want to have, you know, you don't have the, the resources for that. If, I, if you want to do video placements, for example, you need to actually shoot the products, et cetera. So the largest retailers, you know, they're starting to offer things like the content creation services. They're offering more agency-like services where not only will I offer you my media network, but I'll manage your ad units on other third-party networks as well, mm-hmm. and then give you a complete unified picture of that performance. Yeah. Again, so all of those things are higher margin than selling products. You have, you know, some other examples, and there won't be as many of these, I think, certainly because of, of scale and size. But Walmart, for example, in the U.S. has their Go Local offering, which is to leverage their store footprint and staff for local delivery to other retailers. Yes. Forget what the numbers are, but they have at a local level thousands of locations that have now signed up for this capability. I'm sure that's a good margin business for them. It is you know, I, I haven't they, obviously they haven't reported on that, but yes. I would expect that they're doing it because it's a good margin. That one, maybe not everyone can do. Then the other thing that retailers who have the successful media networks, you know, we've talked about the first party data they get from that. If they are, you know, also offering management of those services to other third party networks, if they start becoming that data aggregator, 
mm. for the brand. There's other data level services and data analytics services now the retailer could offer those brands. And from the brand's perspective, I think one of the big challenges they see from this is if I have to deal with 20 different retail media networks and I'm still doing Google display network ads and I'm still doing all these other things, well, how and where am I painting a picture of who my consumer actually is now? Because yes. I have all these disjointed areas that I'm, I'm promoting, right? So, and, and even just to update the business, you know, if you were, you know, head of marketing or whatever, suddenly here's what we're doing. It's like, you've got to be a master storyteller just to knit 20 different exactly. sources of data together to say, yeah. is it working? Yes yeah. or no? Yeah. So I think, you know, that there are those areas. I mean, the data services, I've started to see a couple of folks doing that. I think there's a sense of creativity here involved, right? In finding what are those business level services. I think what most these retailers will do is say, what are we doing internally that we think is successful mm. that's helping our business? And how could we package that and offer it to other retailers? Which is, an, I think, is an interesting and fascinating idea because traditionally you'd expect those retailers are viewing those other businesses as competitors. And now suddenly they're going to treat them as a customer <laughs> potentially yes. by selling them a service. Uh, but it's still a good incremental revenue. It's particularly ironic if you think about brands who are increasingly going direct to consumer and directly competing <laughs> for that same share of consumer's wallet, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, a funny old world of <laughs> exploring and yeah. seeing, I, I suppose, what what works, how it can mm -hmm. fit in with the wider business, how it can add value to the customer, be that a brand or the consumer. And being agile with it, right? It's uh, right. time for experimentation and seeing, do you have the bandwidth for a media network? Do you have capability to offer other B2B high margin services? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's the, the good thing is, like I said, it's the, the good thing is the experimentation. You know, it's retailers being are more and more willing to try these things out. Certainly some of those services may be successful. Some they may not get other retailers to take them up on it. And there's an argument to be made that, you know, it's a it's an issue of scale, right? So it's there's a difference between someone the size of an Amazon or a Walmart offering those services versus, you know, if it's a department store brand that in terms of scale, right, is much smaller scale than than those others, you know, can they succeed in the same way? I think it just it's a matter of being specialized enough in what those services are. So, mm -hmm. you know, my my Walmart go local example, there aren't that many retailers that can offer that service to do yes. local delivery that have the footprint. There, there's, we could probably count them all on, on one hand, right? As to <laughs> who, who can do that. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, if you look at the type of data analytics services, that's more a function of who the customer base is mm. for that retailer. And if that's an attractive base to brands, then there could be some interesting offerings retailers could, could deliver there. Yeah, fascinating. My mind's racing with different, different thoughts, <laughs> yeah. thinking about different retailers and how they have specialities and house, et cetera. So fascinating. Yeah. Ricardo, this has been a, a brilliant conversation, but I'm keen to ask, how can people find out more about you? How can they listen to your podcast? How can they get in touch? Yeah, so the uh, people can e pretty easily find me on uh, LinkedIn and also find me on, on Twitter. Uh, so you can reach out that way. Certainly, you can follow the, the Retail Razor Show. That's my podcast with my co-host, Casey Golden. We're in the middle of season two right now. It has some really interesting, we think, guests coming up talking about direct-to-consumer topics. So that's certainly a good way to learn more about what I'm doing. But yeah, absolutely. Always welcome to hear from people and what they'd like to learn more about. Super. Thank you so much, Ricardo. It's been brilliant talking to you as always. And thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been great. 
whole evolution of advertising and media networks truly is interesting. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation there with Ricardo Belmar. Now, if you are looking for another episode to line up next, here are a few recommendations inspired by today's conversation. First up, in episode 202, number 202, I caught up with Jason Holland from Firework. And Jason and I were talking about immersive video to engage customers. And this is a really interesting development of the media network, which also could involve more ads and promotion of brands as well. So an interesting conversation there with Jason Holland. But equally, perhaps you want to take a listen to episode 194 with Christine Russo. And we were talking about focusing on tech trends and avoiding the fads. And I suppose the big question inspired by this episode is, do you feel that retail media networks are a tech trend or just a fad? An interesting one for sure. And then finally, if you feel like perhaps you have gone down the wrong path, maybe it's about a media network yourself, or maybe it's another change. In episode 187, I asked the question, what if your transformation is wrong? So a great episode there if you are feeling a little unsure and you want to go into that whole topic in more detail. So if you'd like to catch up on those three episodes or find out more about Ricardo Belmar or of course sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, then you must head over to the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 214. That's obandco.uk slash 214. Thanks so much for tuning in. Do hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and catch new episodes which come out every single week. And I look forward to joining you on another one very, very soon. Bye for now.